Hey guys, this is Adam from the podcast and you are listening to Quick Clips. Quick Clips are condensed versions from one of our previous podcast episodes, featuring some of the interesting things our guests had to say. If you want to hear the full episode, we'll have it in the show notes below. And with that, let's start the show. Being a working in the automotive field, I'm guessing you mean when you say, so when you say fixed, you know, let's just use a mechanic as an example, was something that was a um, looked up to role, it was a respected role and everything like that. And what's interesting is I've actually kind of heard the opposite, which, so would you mind uh, kind of diving into that a little bit? Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what, <coughs> what people were saying or talking about back then versus now? Yeah. So, uh, you know, at the time, um, a technician's position in the auto industry back in 1986, uh, that was typically somebody that had gone to high school, turned, worked, worked on cars, and then they moved right into a dealership. They didn't have to be that tech savvy, and, and they certainly didn't have to understand computers. Whereas a guy that was selling cars, he was considered to be much more, he, he had to be professional. You know, that old adage of, especially in the franchise business, uh, even at that time, they were doing their best to avoid stereotypes. So so what seemed like not the most appealing job still had quality candidates. When I look back at, at the types of people that were working alongside me in the auto industry at the entry level, you know, in, in sales positions. And, and when I say variable, I'm talking about sales and finance. Uh, the quality of the person at that time was different than it is today. You know, there was a reckoning in the 2000s when dealers got cheap and they started, uh, as I say, you know, all the good talent either got up or got out and, and we were left holding the scraps. Now, in today's world, it's just the opposite. OK, so we've got people walking in that virtually anybody could get a job selling a car today. Just about anybody could walk into a dealership and, and unless they've got some sort of criminal background, could talk somebody into letting them sell cars. But you couldn't do that as a technician. You know, just because you've been working as a technician, turning wrenches in your uh, house as a high school guy, that doesn't make you qualified to fix today's cars. So the, so the whole dynamics have changed in, in yeah. that regard. So what did, what did hard work look like for you back then? Oh, uh, and um, you were a salesman, correct? Uh, that was Originally, working your yeah. way up through the ranks Originally. to GM. Yeah. So yeah. What, did the, what did that hard work look like back then? Um, was it making sure that was someone, when someone walked in through the door, you were closing a deal right then and there, or you did excellent follow-up, or what did, what did that process look like? It's all good down to communication. You know, in the car business, you're talking to people. And if you can't learn how to look people in the eye and communicate, have empathy, and help them understand that you understand them, you're not going to survive. You know, there's all kinds of slick-talking salespeople that can talk people into buying things, but none of those things last over a period of time. If you want to thrive in the car business, if you want to get promoted into the, into the upper levels of management, you've got to be honest. You've got to be trustworthy, and you've got to be dependable. You got to show up to work every single day. You know, I, I worked 70, 80 hours a week, week in, week out, for the first 25 years of my life in the business. That's what it takes. Don't think that somebody else isn't out willing to work you because there's all kinds of people who are willing to outwork you. You've got to be one step ahead of all of them. In today's world, it doesn't matter if you have a degree. If you have, everybody has a master's in today's world, as stupid as it sounds. It used to be a college degree with something special. That's nothing. Now, if you don't have a master's, you're wasting your time in college. So what I would tell you is forget about all that. Be the hardest worker. Be the most honest. And look people in the face. And if you can do those things, people will buy from you. And when they start buying from you, then you'll start succeeding. Leadership comes with that. 
when you're doing the right things, when you're being moral, when you're making the right decisions, when you're not taking the shortcuts because that's what's best for you rather than what's best for the company. Those are the things people recognize when they begin to look up to, and that's how you move forward. You're the finance director um, leading a couple of F&I departments. Uh, where do you move on from there then? Yeah, so uh, so I was the F&I director for years. Then I became, uh, well, for a, for a short stint, I ran the budget group out of Indianapolis when they were publicly owned. But uh, I went back to Penske, uh, actually Dan Young at the time, took over as a general manager. I ran the store through the late 90s and early 2000s. And in, two, let's see, in 2003, um, yeah, Penske bought the store in 01, 03. Uh, I left Penske and went back to Lafayette, my hometown, and opened up my own independent stores. So I had two stores for 10 years. I developed some software in that time uh, that uh, ultimately went into an, an appraisal product during the whole tech Remember when iPhones were just coming out and mobile apps and all that? So I was in that rush. So I uh, developed some software at the uh, research park at Purdue University. I met some guys and taught them the car business. And, and I used that to launch into my consulting business where I began to travel the country uh, basically as a turnaround guy, going inside stores and helping them get better or, or come come up from the bottom or, or higher from the top. And uh, so I've, I have gotten the chance to spend... Lots of time, gotten to know some great operators around the country, uh, both franchise and independents. And uh, because of that, I, uh, over a period of time, through some clients, met my current partner, and that's what brought me to Ohio. Is the software that you were referring to LaneChamp? Is that correct? Originally, it was LaneChamp. It was originally BidSpin and then moved into LaneChamp. That is correct. So it was an appraisal gotcha. tool that helped dealers buy cars in the auction lane. Hmm, Interesting. And the consulting business um, is that uh, dealer strong? Is that the is that the consulting business? Dealer strong as well as a twenty group moderator. So Vision Advantage oh. was the consulting business. Uh, when I worked for Dealer Strong uh, as a twenty group moderator, I did just that as an independent contractor. And uh, but they were the coordinator. Think of uh, NIADA. Dealer Strong as a similar type of organization for used car dealers. And, and franchise dealerships around the country. Hey guys, Adam from the podcast. I hope you are enjoying today's episode. Just wanted to ask you a quick favor. If the show has brought you value in some way, would you mind giving us a review and sharing the show? It really helps the show get out there. Also, if you are looking to expand the services that your shop offers and you want to do more than collision work, you should really check out our company, Clarity Coat. Clarity Coat is a peelable paint that allows body shops to offer color changes cheaper than a repaint while still looking like real paint. You can also offer clear protection that has no edges and is sprayed instead of laid. Unlike vinyl and PPF, Clarity Coat can be sanded and polished, so you can give your customer the exact look that they are wanting. If you are looking to expand your shop's services, go to claritycoat.com and fill out our Become an Installer form. All right, let's get back to the show. Vision Advantage is something I'd, I'd really like to spend a little bit of time on. Um, consulting is an interesting world. Yeah. What were some of the most common problems that you saw in um, any of the dealership groups or uh, dealerships or anything like that that you went into? Yeah, um, I would tell you, my store is different. The customers are different here. No, they're not. Okay. Whether you're in New York or Hawaii or anywhere in between, the customers are the same. 
The process is the same. Don't try and tell me that things are different where you are because they're not. I'm sure a lot of these dealerships and, and maybe even the dealer, dealer group that you're a part of right now has some collision repair and mm-hmm. auto body repair. What is the process that you think is the thing that most most body shops need to improve on or that that took the longest for you to overcome as a problem? I think for us right now, we've got a couple different a couple different problems that I don't know if other dealers experience or not, but one of them is cars getting to the body shop either too late or too soon. Okay. In the initial acquisition process for us, uh, you know, we talk about procedures and when, when you acquire a car, a car comes to the dealership. At what point does it go to the body shop? Does it go before mechanical or after? And sometimes that can be a push, push or pull, you know, because if you fix the car first and then it goes to the body shop, well, you find out you spent too much in the, in the mechanical and now you got nothing left in the body shop and vice versa. And then the other challenge we're running into is parts. You know, we're having a major <laughs> challenge with parts right now. Yep. Uh, so we, we're having a big backup. And I don't know how dealers are solving that other than all the various third party sites that are out there, whether it's, uh, you know, um, LKQ or all the people that are out there that are, that, are, that are doing parts. I think that those two things I would say are our biggest challenges. Where do you see the automotive industry and or, you know, let's just go with the automotive industry. I don't want to try and pin you too much to the auto body mm-hmm. field, but where do you kind of see, uh, actually, uh, I really want to throw you this way. It looks like you guys are, uh, well, you are a Chevy dealership group, right? You, that's correct. Ford just announced that they're going to be moving away from the dealership model. What is your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm not sure how successful they'll be. You know, they try, for those of you that have been around the business for a while, they tried this in the 90s, actually in Indianapolis. Okay. Uh, there was a big push at the time, and a lot of the dealers fought it. So, you know, I thought you were going to ask me about what. Uh, electric vehicles, Adam, I figured that was the next thing out of your mouth. Uh, well, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I have a pretty, I have a pretty good opinion about electric vehicles, uh, which I mean, so we can ironic. certainly talk about it. Well, it's crazy. I just sold my, just sold a good friend of mine, a 2022 Tesla X plaid last weekend. Mm. Uh, you know, unbelievable car, but, uh, of course, scary fast drives incredible. But, but it's a different thing. Something's going to change our industry, you know, as far as what's going to happen with Ford and how they're going to approach the model. The dealers are a pretty powerful group, you know. Mm. Uh, I can tell you this. In the early 90s, when the Internet first came around, they started saying, I'll buy 2,000. Nobody be buying cars in a franchise. Nobody be buying cars at brick and mortar. Well, here we are 20 years later. You know, we're still buying cars at brick and mortar. The Internet has changed the industry. Uh, but it's not going to put the dealers out of business. They're going to adapt. You know, Ford's going to try and figure out a way to take business. And it's not just Ford. If you think about it, there are so many different third-party vendors out there that are trying to take the customer away from the dealer. And those of you on the fixed operation side might not be aware of that. But when you're online tonight and you're looking at cars, every time you click on cars, uh, you know, whether it's uh, uh, all the different cars.com and, and all these different lead generators – all these sites, all they're doing is using spiders to capture your information to try and grab you as a customer before you ever get inside a dealership. So all Ford's doing is what everybody else is trying to do, and that's trying to get the customer before they get to the showroom. I don't think they'll succeed because sooner or later, people eventually still come to the showroom no matter what. 
When I got in the car business, they went to a store four times before they bought a car. They now go to a dealership 1.2 times, so less than two visits. So what that means is, is when a guy walks in your dealership, as I tell all my clients and, and employees, if you don't sell them a car, you screwed it up. Plain and simple. They they're coming you. in already kind of knowing what they want to buy. They've already decided that they're coming to buy a car from you. And if they leave without one, you screwed it up. So there's nobody to blame but yourself. Go back and look at what went wrong. Okay, because people don't shop for a car anymore. They'd shop at home online, and then they walk in the dealership. The same thing will happen with Ford. Yeah, they'll be able to figure out a way to get people to order cars, but I'm not sure in my lifetime only electronic cars or only electric cars will be on the road. I just don't think it's going to happen that fast. I've seen some GM studies. You know, they're talking about 40, 50 years out from now. Uh, combustion engine cars are still on the road. So, so there's going to be a lot of time for most likely everybody on this call to make sure they still make a good living uh, before the electronic cars come around and before Ford puts everybody out of business with a factory-to-consumer approach. I'm just not convinced it's going to work. Uh, I have one last question or observation about the um, – I really like that uh, term that's used, factory-to-consumer, FTC. And I, w- I want to just – ask you something about that, but then I actually do want to go to electric vehicles um, because I think that would make for a fun conversation. <laughs> um, the Do you think that Ford is in a little bit of a different situation now than they were in the 90s because Tesla's kind of proved out that um, FTC model where, you know, they you order it online um, and then it just gets basically shipped to you at some point in time? Do you think there's a little bit more of a backing? And to be clear, I, I agree with you. I don't think that Ford is going to eliminate all the dealers in the nation. It, 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 we have, we've never really seen that proved out um, in real life. It's something that I think gets said, but it hasn't really been proved out. As an example, you've been, order, you've been able to order books and sneakers online for, geez, what, 10, 15 years? There's still shoe stores. There's still bookstores because there's right. just – there's something about that customer interaction. There's something about that tangible feeling of touching the thing before you actually buy it. So, but do you think Ford is in a stronger position now than what they have been because of Tesla? I think it's fair to assume. You know, uh, I think it's fair to say that Tesla has proven that that it is possible to get out there. Now, the, the irony of this whole Tesla deal is, uh, I told you, I just sold one. I live three hours from my dealership group. It took me seven hours to get home the other night because I had to drive two hours out of my way to get to a charging station to get home. You know, I've been buying up the Tesla stock, but I'm just not a big fan of, of the electric car yet. Uh, I, I will tell you, like I said, I drove this Texas. It's an unbelievable car. Scary fast. Pulls the front end literally off the front of it. Feels like you're doing a wheelie. I think it's the fastest car in the country right now. Uh, and I can see the appeal. You know, there's no there's no shifting of the gears. There's no transmission. It is zero to fast instantly. So I understand the appeal, but I also think that again, like we talked about, you know, there's going to be combustion engine around for a long, long time. I'm in a town of 350 people right now. Half of them can't even spell electric vehicle. You know, we're not going to have we're not going to have any electric stations here for a long time. So the whole thought, I think, the infrastructure is what's going to keep. The electric cars off as a, I think the infrastructure required that they may have in California, they may have on the East Coast, but we don't have 
in South Dakota or North Dakota or Indiana or Ohio is what's going to keep those cars from really taking hold for the next 30, 40 years at least. So uh, any final any final thoughts on electrification of America or anything like that? Well, what I would say is I think electric vehicles are here to stay. You know, they yes. are going to be around. Uh, I don't think they're going to dominate the roads in my lifetime, but I do think they'll be here. I think there's some quality stuff out there. I, I understand the appeal, uh, but you, what I would tell anybody who's looking at one is make sure you're in a market that, that has an infrastructure. Because if you're in the Midwest, unless you're in a big city, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Chicago, something like that, it might not be for you. All right, that does it for today's quick clips. If this episode has brought you value, would you mind giving us a review? Also, if you would like to learn more about Clarity Coat and what it can do for your business, please visit us at ClarityCoat.com. See you on the next one.